It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Two moms looking for inspiration wherever, wherever we, we can, can find, find it. I'm Teresa Wymetallic. I'm Colleen Torgerson. And welcome to Tangential Inspiration Podcast. We're on episode 122. Yes. Tonight, I'm going to talk a little bit about a war hero named Doug Hagdahl. And I am so excited to talk about Julie Andrews. I'm excited to hear about Julie Andrews. <laughs> and then I'm going to finish up talking a little bit about an attorney named Janice Lintz, who is helping people with hearing impairments. I'm get, very well, excited about me this. Me too. She's a great gal. We've talked a lot about war heroes on previous episodes um, mm-hmm. during Tangential Inspiration. And some of those war heroes have been on the front lines, like the Tuskegee Airmen that we've chatted yes. about. Others have been heroes that are more behind the scenes, like Florence Nightingale, right? Irina Sendler. But not every war hero is a hero because they you know, had battlefront courage. One of those heroes is Doug Hegdahl. If you're not familiar with the name, that's because most people haven't even heard of him. But everyone, I think, should know this guy. Great. Doug Hegdahl III was born September 3rd, 1946 in South Dakota. He was a petty officer second class in the U.S. Navy during the Vietnam War. When Doug was 20, he was serving on the U.S. Canberra, a guided <laughs> missile cruiser in the Gulf of Tonkin, three miles off the coast of Vietnam. So in addition to missiles, this ship had large guns that had a large backplast. Oh, yes. Sort of like exhaust blowing out the back of these you know, huge guns. One of those blasts knocked Doug overboard, and nobody noticed at the time. Oh Apparently, like, his crewmen didn't want to get him in trouble. They, I don't know where they thought he was, but they didn't turn him in right away as being missing. So Doug swam for hours before being picked up by some Vietnamese fishermen who treated him very well, but turned him over to the North Vietnamese Army. Back on Doug's ship, nobody knew what had happened to him, thinking that they were keeping him out of trouble. His crewmates didn't report him missing for a few days. Trying to be good friends, but (laughs) days is, hours is one thing. Where's he hiding on a ship? I mean. True. Yeah. So anyway, by then, everyone had assumed he must have drowned. When the North Vietnamese Army took Hegdahl into custody, they thought he was some sort of spy or a commando. He was taken to the notorious Paolo prison nicknamed Hanoi Hilton. The Hanoi Hilton was known for its miserable conditions, poor food, and unsanitary conditions. This is where most captured U.S. prisoners of wars were taken to be interrogated and usually tortured. John McCain, who we talked about in episode 47, spent over five years. I can't even imagine. I know. As a prisoner of war. The North Vietnamese beat Doug horribly, and he was being interrogated, and they used torture while they were interrogating him. He decided to play dumb as best he could. He thought that was the best way he could survive, and he didn't want to tell them anything valuable. Right. So he played up being stupid and acted like he was this country bumpkin, and he said it was like you know, the people he grew up with in South Dakota. He was just trying to be like some of them. So because of his act, he looked, you know, very young. The North Vietnamese believed him, and they didn't see him as a threat. So they thought he might be someone that they could use in a propaganda campaign. Okay. So Doug agreed to be part of this propaganda campaign against the United States, and they asked him to write anti-U.S. statements. But Doug pretended that he couldn't read or write. So they, they brought in a teacher 
to teach him how to read and write so that he could do this. But the teacher gave up in frustration, and Doug got a nickname around camp. He was known as the Incredibly Stupid One. Since he was not seen as a threat, he was largely... I mean, this would be funny, except for that it's war. I know. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to laugh and giggle, but honestly, I'm just amazed at his ingenuity. Yeah. It's like a sitcom, like MASH, or, you know, back yes. in that day. Yes. So since he wasn't seen as a threat, he was allowed to walk around the camp using his broom to sweep. So this allowed him to find out what was going on all around camp. He could pass messages. And most importantly, he got to know who was being held in the camp. He would also perform some small acts of sabotage, including disabling five trucks by putting dirt in the gas tanks. Oh my goodness, that's great. Hedgall also pretended that he needed new glasses. And when he was taken into the city of Hanoi to have new glasses fitted, he memorized the route and location of the prison in relation to various landmarks. Okay. During his stay at Howlow Prison, Doug Hegdahl memorized the names of 256 prisoners. Oh, my goodness. By using the tune, can you guess? Old MacDonald had a farm. I was going to say, like. (laughs) Town races or something. I that was. I don't he, know why that game. Divided, he put but. the prisoners' names into the song to help him remember. One of the other prisoners would help drill him on the names of prisoners. So after more than two years as a prisoner, two years, the North Vietnamese, in a propaganda move, decided to release three prisoners. None of the prisoners wanted to volunteer to be released because they had all taken a pact that nobody went home unless everybody went home. Wow. Doug initially refused to be one of the three prisoners released, but was convinced to agree to the release by officers who had been taken prisoner to get information back to the U.S. command. Right. Doug was released with two other prisoners, and when he got back, he was able to report to his commanders the exact location of the prisoners, the number and names of all the prisoners held at Hanoi Hilton, and the horrible conditions the U.S. servicemen were living there. He was given medical treatment and was honorably discharged from the Navy. And following his discharge, he participated in the Paris Peace Talks in 1970. The Paris Peace Talks were an attempt to get a peace treaty signed to end the Vietnam War. They were started back in 1968. Never was very successful, but it did help pull the United States out of the war. Mm. And it did help secure the return of U.S. prisoners of war. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So that part was successful. Doug Hedgall was present during these proceedings and was called as an eyewitness to describe the camps and conditions of the prisoners. Additionally, Hedgall's remarkable memory of all the prisoners' names helped ensure the return of prisoners. I would also think, I mean, I'm sure that these families were horrified to know that their loved ones were in that camp, but I can't imagine the relief just thinking they're alive. They made it there. Yeah, they're they're alive and possibly can be. Might come home. Yeah. Right. Exactly. In 1973, a deal was struck to return the prisoners of war from Vietnam in groups of 120. The servicemen in captivity began to, you know, they were treated better. They received better food. They were given mail that had been withheld from them. And they were even allowed to take some care packages from home. Oh, wow. Okay. So success there too. Right. Right. Some people in the military, unfortunately, didn't see Hegdahl as a hero. Despite his importance in helping negotiate the release of prisoners and exposing the cruel treatment of the U.S. POWs, some viewed him as a traitor for accepting the early release. I did see notes, though, where different people in the military had sent notes and said that they talked him into 
going home. Right. They, they wanted him to go and talk about the conditions and get word out. I think, and also that he had memorized all those I names. Know. That had to have meant something, too. Yes. Like, get out there and tell them yeah. everybody Bring that's help. in here. Yeah. Yes. This guy risked his life every day. He underwent torture, memorized all the prisoners' names, brought home incredibly valuable intelligence, and some people weren't happy that he didn't stay. I, f- I just find that incredibly sad. Me, too. And I guess times haven't changed that right. much. So there's always somebody who can find fault with Agreed. anything. Agree. Doug went on to be a SEER instructor, which stands for Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. This includes instruction in survival techniques, evading capture, resisting torture, and escaping confinement. The training is brutal. All Special Forces service people get it, and service people who have a high risk of capture, like pilots, aircrew, and intelligence assets, have to go through the training. Having firsthand experience as a POW gave him a valuable insight on what to expect, how to survive, which he could then pass on to other American service people. I didn't think I'd ever heard of Doug Hedgall until my husband mentioned him. Okay. Um, But he was on an episode of Drunk History back in 2019, so people can go Google that show. Okay. Um, And it has both him and Florence Nightingale, believe it or not, on the episode. Okay. So I don't think many people have heard of him. But definitely everyone should hear the story of this American hero. And they, on the drunk history, they do it with a little humorous spin. But still, everybody should know about this guy. That's right. And we talked about humor last week, so it's okay. Exactly. Yes. So last week we talked about Carol Burnett. Yes. We talked about Carol Burnett. And until you talked about this, I didn't know that her and Julie Andrews were besties. Oh, really? No. The thing that's funny, when I've talked in classes, they're like, oh, don't forget, she did all sorts of specials with Julie Andrews. Yes. This got me thinking about Julie Andrews. It got me thinking just how much I adore her. I've always thought she was so classy. And after researching her, my opinion remains the same. Oh, good, good. She's super classy and super just lovely. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, she was born Julia Elizabeth Wells in Walton Mm. on Thames, Surrey, England in 1935. She was a child star of the British vaudeville circuit. Mm. Her mother was Barbara Wells, who was a concert pianist. That sounds more like what I think of with her versus vaudeville. Right. Classy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Ted Andrews, who was a tenor. This was actually, this, Ted Andrews was actually her stepfather. Oh, okay. And it's going to be a little confusing because her actual father is Ted Wells. Both mm-hmm. Ted's. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to say their last names with them so that people yeah. understand what I'm yeah. talking about, one or the That's other. That's been a popular name back in the day. Apparently. So Ted Andrews, her stepfather, was a tenor. And together, Barbara Wells, her mom, and the two had a popular double act, which toured the country. Julie's parents had split at the beginning of World War II, and they both ended up marrying other people. So um, that'll that'll make sense as we move later on. Andrews really loved her dad, Ted Wells, and she initially stayed with her dad after her parents' divorce, but soon joined her mother and new stepfather in London. In contrast to the happy pastoral life that Andrews had lived with Wells, London was dirty and gray. As the harsh sounds of air raid sirens filled Andrew's ears, her bedroom offered little comfort. She had a basement dwelling with bars on the windows and rats crawling across exposed pipes. 
And her mom and stepdad had some personal troubles. Mm -hmm. Both were alcoholics. And this made life really difficult Mm -hmm. for her. Now, when you say on rats on pipes, are you talking inside or when she looked out those windows, she saw the rats on the pipes? I feel like they were inside. (laughs) I know. I know. And because, like I said, they were both alcoholics, this was really difficult for her. Though Andrews loved her mom, she recently revealed that her mother's substance abuse issues meant she could never fully trust her mom. Mm -hmm. I found that really sad. Very sad. Yes. I thought this was really neat. Andrews' mother first noticed her daughter's amazing talent during World War II. When little eight-year-old Julie was hiding in a community air raid shelter, she used her voice to distract her neighbors. Oh, So sweet. Initially, her stepfather, Ted Andrews, led the community in a sing-along until Andrews' mom realized that her young daughter's voice stood out in the best way possible. Oh. I know. I just love this. See, I'm glad people will know that yes. now because that's yes. so sweet. I thought so, too. She made her stage debut in their act, in this mm-hmm. vaudeville yeah. act, at the age of 12. So that would have been about 1947, after the war was over. And then she began to perform on her own in variety shows, musical performances, holiday pantomimes, and on British radio and television. Singing with her parents was fun, but Andrews felt destined for greater things. Yes. <laughs> well, and it's interesting, you know, you've talked about her being a classy lady. Yes. This is not the childhood I would have envisioned that she no. had. No, so, I, I thought she'd be like Queen of Genovia yeah. childhood, <laughs> which we'll get yeah. into. But yes, I, yeah. I really imagined more of that for her. And this makes me have, you know, tons of respect for her. So around her 12th birthday, her stepfather introduced her to British television director Val Parnell. He saw her talent right away and immediately cast her in the West End Review Starlight Roof. I don't Mm. know what that is, but it was play. Mm -hmm. Her performing career really took off from there. And then when she was 13, she found herself performing for royalty. Oh, wow. I know. At 13. At 13. In 1948, she became the youngest solo artist to perform at the Royal Variety Command Performance Center for King George and Queen Elizabeth. That's a mouthful right there. Right. (laughs) So just to give you guys some context, King George and Queen Elizabeth, I believe, would have been King Charles. That's Mm -hmm. his grandparents. Oh, okay. So just to... Because everybody's been watching The Crown, so they. I know. So in my own head, I wanted to. You're picturing who? Yeah, that distinguishment (laughs) there. So, she remembers being amazed by the whole experience. Her family really relied on her heavily, and at age 15, the money that she earned was already paying the family mortgage. Wow. Yes. I thought this was so sweet. So her actual father, Ted Wells. Because she was kind of this child star already, and her money was going to help with this mortgage. He was a school teacher, and so he just really made sure that he fostered Julie's love of reading and writing still, so that she had that. Something to fall back on, yes. just in case. Gifts, which served her well during her touring years when mm-hmm. her academic education was curtailed by her commitments. Yeah. So, on the other hand, her stepfather did get her lessons at the Independent Arts Educational School. There she met and trained with a concert soprano and voice instructor. Her name was Madame Lillian Stiles Allen. That's a mouthful, too. Yes. <laughs> I love this. Julie says she's had an enormous influence on me. 
She said, she was my third mother. I've got more mothers and fathers than anyone Aww. in the world. It's <laughs> a good I, way I to look really at it. Cute. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really cute of Julie to say that. And I love that. Also, this, this woman, Madame, I'm just going to call her Madame that taught her, said that Julie possessed the rare gift of absolute pitch. Oh. Julie kind of refutes this. Of mm-hmm. course, we're always hard yeah. on ourselves, yeah. right, in 2008. So she said, Madame was sure that I could do Mozart and Rossini, but to be honest, I never was. So, <laughs> I mean, I think she's And I think many so. people would disagree with her, yeah. Uh, yes. But I love that. That humble heart. Me that, too. Yeah, that spirit. Of her just... own voice, she says, I had a very pure, white, thin voice, a four-octave range. And then she <laughs> says, dogs would come from miles around. <laughs> I thought that was so cute. That's just so cute yeah. to me. I just love her. So, She was 18 when the director of the London production of The Boyfriend saw her on stage and cast her in the lead role in the American version of the play. So that's when she left her family and moved to America, mm. was to be in this play. This gamble paid off, though. It led to an even bigger opportunity, which was Andrews becoming the youngest actress ever to play Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady. Oh. So, yeah, I, I, it was so fun. I saw some, when I was researching this, it was really fun to see young pictures mm-hmm. of her. She's just lovely. Yeah, so pretty. Yes. I mean, so, she's pretty now. Yes. But she received critical acclaim for this legendary stage performance. But when it was time to make the movie of My Fair Lady... Do you know who was cast in My Fair Lady? Can you think of who that is? Barbara Streisand. No. Oh. Somebody younger. Really classy, too. Audrey I... Hepburn. Oh, how did I not know that? I, I know. her in the yeah. memory care area. Yes. Yeah, I should have gotten that. So she was actually chosen instead of Julie Andrews. Mm-hmm. And could I don't... Audrey Hepburn sing? She could dance. Wow, it's been such a yeah. long time since I've seen yeah. that movie. Interesting. Love... So in the, at the same time... Few people know that Walt Disney handpicked Julie Andrews to play her most famous role, the magical nanny, Mary Poppins. Oh, that was her more famous than Sound of Music? Well, it came first. Okay. So, yes. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I thought it was the other way around. Yes. They were really, really close. Mm-hmm. Mary saw... Poppins was so good, I, though, she's too. She's just yeah. lovely. I, I've, used, I've overused that <laughs> word. No such thing. Right. He saw Andrews play Queen Guinevere in Camelot on Broadway. And the second the show was over, he rushed backstage to offer her the part. Oh, my gosh. I just love that. At this time, she was four months pregnant with her child. Oh. He probably didn't know that. Right. <laughs> right. And so she she worried she'd have to turn down the role. Disney said, I'm going to just delay filming until... Good for him. So that Andrews could have that part. Yeah. That's he how much he just, wanted her. Yep. Yep. I love that. As it turned out, name rec- recognition didn't matter to moviegoers. Mary Poppins beat out My Fair Lady and topped the box office that year. Um, Probably felt kind of good. Yeah, but it was so been, cute. Yeah. She says, while this kind of rivalry could have made for a huge Hollywood feud through it all, Andrews and Hepburn remained good friends. Oh, good. This role was Julie Andrews' motion picture debut in Mary Poppins, and this won her an Oscar. Oh. So it was actually her first film debut. And her first Oscar. Correct. And I wonder if nowadays that would still be the case, because I feel like the media tries to, you know, put people against each other just to get things on there. So I wonder if in nowadays they still would be close friends. Right. I would hope so. I would hope so, too. This is really funny coming up on Carol Burnett, but Andrews never imagined herself playing the role of Maria in The Sound of Music. So... Mm. For those of you that don't know, it had been a play first. Mm-hmm. So she knew what the sound of music was. Right. right. 
She recalls thinking that while she loved the music, the show itself was a bit too saccharine. Sugary, Mm -hmm. I think, is what I want to... So much that she and Carol Burnett parodied Mm -hmm. it in a bit called The Pratt Family Singers in their 1962 television special. And in 1965, (laughs) she played Maria. So I thought that was really funny. I kind of want to look up that clip now. There's a clip of them doing the Grand Ole Opry, too. Okay. That was the one that my sister and I watched the episode (laughs) over and over and over again. Well, this one was called The Pratt Family Singers. Kind of sounds like a rat. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's what I thought of. So uh, You know what I'm going to be Googling yeah. tonight. <laughs> the Pratt Family Singers. So I read this before, and I wondered if it was, again, a little bit of like a Hollywood hype. But Christopher Plummer and Julie Andrews are great friends today. But when Plummer first met Andrews, he didn't like her at all. I know. Did he, he say why? He admitted to finding her insufferable and annoying when they filmed The Sound of Music. And even peevishly <gasps> called her Miss Disney. Oh, my gosh. I know. Now, that sounds more like contemporary (laughs) stuff on social media. He later took it back and said that his feelings were immature and that Andrews was a professional. Good for him. I know. Oh, that makes me so happy, too, because I just love him, too. (laughs) So, The Sound of Music in 1965 is the highest grossing film of all time. Wow. Didn't know that. So, I don't know about you, but Sound of Music has has been a huge part of my life. I mean, obviously, it was before we were born. Mm Mm-hmm. But I remember my mom, I don't remember when I started watching it. It was almost like from day one because I know my mom loved it. Yeah. So it's very nostalgic for me. I remember singing all the songs. Yeah. I mean, it was a big deal oh, in our yeah. house. Yeah. Uh, I won't make people hear me sing. Oh, but. same. You know, in the last 10 years, as we become more adults, if you go back and watch Sound of Music again, it just blows your mind. Do you remember the part with the puppets? They're oh. actually called marionettes. Yes, I yes, yes. If you listen to her sing that, it, it just is amazing. And the other spot when she's walking up the stairs and really lets it go, mm-hmm. puts her hand in the air, and she has one hand on her head. And apparently, that's because the directors were like, "Let's see what you can do. Take it as high as you oh want to go." Gosh. So that was kind of an improv. Yeah, in that wow in the sound of music. So now when I watch that, I'm going to be looking for that part too. It it is so amazing. Mm-hmm. So she's coming up steps, mm-hmm. and then she sings like that, and then she kind of goes whew. <laughs> and I just love that part too. Like moving on, running after. The I made it. So previous to this, Julie had been married to a childhood sweetheart. Mm. So was that the father of her child? That's the father that she of was... Emma. Okay. Yes, his name was Tony. Okay. And in 1968, they separated. And she she was married to him for nine years. They had one child, Emma, mm-hmm. like you said. But this was a quote from her. And she said, sadly, I separated from my lovely first husband. I mean, seriously, <laughs> who calls their ex-husband <laughs> lovely? <sighs> and separations were always inevitable. And the marriage was over. And my head was so full of clutter and garbage, mm. she said. And this, she actually started therapy because of this. Which wasn't a, a, you know, wasn't wasn't really a thing thing back then. She says really this first marriage got her to this point. So she actually met her second husband because of therapy. In 1959, (laughs) Andrews was pulling into her therapist's office. And Blake Andrews was pulling out of the office. Edwards recalled seeing Andrew a few more times before mustering up the courage to say hello. He smiled, rolled down his window, and said, Are you going where I just came from? (laughs) 
I thought that was cute. Probably a nice way of, you know, back then you yeah. weren't asking. Yeah, you didn't want to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I thought that funny. was really cute. They were married pretty quickly. After four years of marriage, it appeared that having their own child wasn't in the cards. So Andrews and Edwards decided to adopt two infant girls from Vietnam. Oh, I did not know that. I did not either. And I wonder if they both continued to go to the same therapist or if they had to get approval from the therapist. Yeah. I thought that was great. I'm still curious about that part, but (laughs) didn't see that anywhere. So they adopted these two girls, Amy Lee. She was two months old. And then a few months later, just as Saigon fell, they adopted five month old Joanna Lynn from the same orphanage. They knew that growing up in America would be challenging for the girls, but according to Andrews, love got them through. I so <laughs> admire that they did that. Mm-hmm. I love yes. it. So yeah. I had no idea. Me None. neither. Yeah. Years later, Andrews described her relationship with Edwards as a love story, but the romance wasn't always easy. According to Andrews, Edwards was charismatic and hilariously funny, but he also suffered from intense bouts of depression. Despite these challenges, the couple stayed devoted to each other and made it work, taking it one day at a time. Very wise. Right. I want to loop back to her first husband just to kind of wrap that up. Her first husband died in March of 2022. Mm. And she had this to say, Tony was my dearest and oldest friends. He taught me to see the world with fresh eyes and his talent was simply monumental. I will miss him more than I can say. So I thought that was really sweet and also just... How healthy for her and also healthy for their child together. Yes. To see that her mom still had those feelings for her father. Sure. So just how she says his talent. Her first husband did all the costumes for Mary Poppins. Oh my gosh. I know. Which are Talented. Yeah. Yes. So I wanted to just put that in there because, again, it just showed how classy she was. She was also in a Broadway play called Victor Victoria. Oh, and they made a movie or something, right? Didn't they? And okay. she did the movie as well. So we'll get to that. But this was on Broadway in 1995, mm-hmm. and this was interesting. She wouldn't accept a Tony nomination for her performance. It's interesting because Teresa and I were talking a little bit about this before we started about award shows, Oscars, yeah, right. And this is why she turned it down. She felt that the rest of the cast and crew, which included her husband Blake Edwards, had been egregiously overlooked. Mm. And she just really stood her mm-hmm. ground. So another sweet fact about Victor Victoria, as a special surprise for Andrews, during her final curtain call for Victor Victoria, the entire cast, along with Christopher Plummer, serenaded her with a rendition of Edelweiss, oh. Andrews' favorite song from The Sound of Music. I know. So Isn't that awesome? And I love that she you know, would stick up for her whole crew like Correct. that and not take the credit for right. stuff that everyone Right, she really participated felt that strongly. In. Yes, I think that's very stood sweet. stood her guns, and I just love Good that. Good for her. During Victor Victoria, she started having trouble with her vocal cords. I don't know if you've So it's been a long time song. then. Correct. So that would have been around 95. After seeing a doctor, Andrews was relieved to hear that she had a non-cancerous growth. Even though Andrews planned to take some time to rest her voice, her husband, Blake Edwards, wanted her to join a touring production of the show. And that wouldn't be possible if Andrews didn't have surgery. In the end, she agreed to have Mm. surgery. She'd regret that decision for the rest of her life. The procedure to remove the growth wasn't supposed to present any risk to her voice. So in 1997, Andrews opted for the procedure with the understanding that after a few weeks of recovery, she'd be able to sing again. Unfortunately, instead of fixing the problem, the procedure scarred her vocal cords, 
and left her unable to sing. Mm. When she learned about the terrible consequences of the surgery, Andrews felt like she, quote, lost her identity. Yeah. I was I had oh little tears gosh. in my eyes when yeah. I was reading this part, but oh, when I was yeah. researching this part, oh. by the way. All your livelihood and just everything, everything. you've done. Yeah. Yes. Gone. Not ready to accept her diagnosis, Andrews hoped that doctors would somehow reverse the damage to her vocal cords. She went through multiple surgeries. She tried different vocal exercises, but with limited results. One doctor was able to remove some of the scar tissue and improve Andrews' speaking voice. But fully restoring her singing voice was simply impossible. Mm. I know. I didn't realize, I guess, too, that it had taken away even her speaking voice before this additional I just surgery. don't even know how all of that works. I don't really either. When she learned talk about she, devastating. Yes. And when she learned that she couldn't sing anymore, Andrews went through the stages of grief, mm-hmm. including denial and depression. Eventually, she realized that singing wasn't her, her entire identity, and she found a new way to be creative. Already the author of several books for older children. Who knew? I didn't know that either. Andrews decided to write books for younger children with her daughter, Emma. Oh, that's sweet. I know. We'll get into that yeah. a little bit more. So you have seen Princess Diaries. Yes. We were talking yes. about that from the beginning. I The reason I asked Teresa, because she has three boys. <laughs> so I thought maybe the chances <laughs> are she might have not seen it. But. but remember for a while, they were watching like, uh, well, I say they, but it was like Nick was watching High school Glee, musical. yeah, and those ones. I think mostly with Sophie. <laughs> yes. But, but still, it was going on in our house. So. Yes, yes. So this was actually Anne Hathaway's feature film debut. That was one thing I wanted to throw in there because I thought she did such a great yeah, job. she's amazing. Love her and Get Good. Smart. That's a funny movie. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, my gosh, you got to watch that. This is also one of my daughter's favorite films. I mean, it's got great music yeah. in it. It's like Mandy yeah. Moore. There's, I think there's a Kelly Clarkson song in there, too, but... It was one of our favorites. And also, I just have to throw in, it was Princess Diaries 2 was my introduction to Chris Pine. That's why I... Okay, so he wasn't in the first one, because I think I've only seen the first one. Okay, he's in the second one. And with Chris Pine, so he was in Wonder Woman. Correct. Yeah, very good in Wonder Woman, too. Favorite. Um, Yes. He was just in The People Magazine. And Captain Kirk. (laughs) (laughs) The list goes on. Colleen can give you the whole list. But um, he said he was feeling very fly back in the day with his long haircut. And I've never heard that word before. Feeling very fly. Fly. And then his, like, agent or someone said he looked like Rachel. Rachel from Friends. Friends. So he's like, I'm not so fly. And I just thought it was hilarious that he doesn't take himself too seriously. He doesn't seem to. So I, I know can... I've even seen that he's admitted that he's a crier. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, friends. So this is, was so interesting to me. I loved it. The film was an unexpected commercial success. Despite earning mixed reviews for its plot and themes, Hathaway's performance was widely praised by film critics, ranking it among the most profitable films of 2001. The other reason I thought it might not do well is it was rated G. Mm. I was like, Isn't yes. that sad that, right. yeah, that yeah, I know. But because it's a darling yeah, movie. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, I think it still lives up today. Yeah, it's just darling. So she was semi-retired when she was cast as Clarice Rinaldi, who is Mia's grandmother and Queen of Genovia. Gary Marshall, mm-hmm. he's, the, he's yes. the director, personally invited Andrews to discuss the film with him. Andrews identified the director as the hook. <laughs> That convinced her to accept the role. She was a longtime fan of his work, and she didn't even read the script. 
It doesn't surprise me because they probably just had mutual admiration for each other's work. So that's awesome. I'll do it. Marshall insists that Andrews is the first and only actress he considered. Having Mm. been a fan of hers since Broadway's My Fair Lady, known for portraying princesses and nobility throughout her career, Andrews incorporated knowledge she had acquired about European royalty and mannerisms of Britain's royal family into her performance as Mia's regal mentor. Queen Elizabeth II had herself knighted Andrews one year prior, making her dame. Oh, wow. I'm learning so much tonight. Yes. Marshall allowed Andrews significant freedom to determine Clarissa's portrayal. That's why he trusted her. Yeah. Yeah. It's just her. (laughs) I wish you could see Colleen's face right now. It's just like dreamy. It's glowing. Yes. It's glowing. Um, Let's see here. Andrews also used the opportunity to mentor Hathaway. I thought that was so sweet. Although she maintains that the younger actress required very little training, quote, she had great instincts, good talent. She has this ability to do humor, comedy very well. So other than actually honing her craft and learning from doing, she has it all. And then she went on to play the same character, like we were talking about mm-hmm. in Princess Diaries, too. So I love these two women building each other up and I supporting each other rather than being competitive. Yes, it's yes. just very refreshing. It's so fun, and I, I really do feel like it comes through in that movie. They just had fun. While Andrews may have not been able to sing in the impressive four-octave range that she had before the surgery, she did learn how to speak sing, which is <sighs> a less that. demanding song. So yeah. yeah, me too. <laughs> Sounds much better than my actual singing voice. In 2004, in Princess Diary 2, she performed a duet with Raven Simone. This was so cute. As the director, Gary Marshall, said, and it had been so long since anyone heard Andrews sing that, quote, even the guys with tattoos got a little teary, unquote. Oh. <laughs> I thought that was so cute. <laughs> Blake Edwards and Julie Andrews were married for 41 years. Wow. Until his death in 2010. Mm-hmm. Ten years later, she reports that she still misses him. That's so sweet. Yes. So understanding, go, going back to the work she was doing with Emma, her mm-hmm. daughter, in these, these books. children's books, yeah. right? I'm sniffing a little bit about that <laughs> with the tattooed guys getting teary. Oh, getting teary about her singing in Princess Diaries 2. So understanding what kind of impact major world issues were having on children, Andrews and her daughter Emma Walton came up with a creative way to bring them comfort in May 2020. So, right, this would have been two months into COVID. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that point, it's starting to get long, really. Yeah. We thought this is two weeks. They're two months in. So she has a podcast called Julie's Library. Oh. Where she and her daughter notes. read their favorite children's books. Oh, I love that. Their hope is that their podcast will bring families together and encourage reading and literacy. Oh. So I really like that. Yeah. Julie's she, Library. That's cool. Julie's Library. Yeah. So there were some other on-screen appearances that she has done. Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, which I I feel like I've seen before. Mm-hmm. Several award-winning variety specials, mm-hmm. including with Carol Burnett. She Which did, those two together, you would not just put them together, but, but it works. Classy ladies. Yes, they are. yes, they are. Live theater presentation of On Golden Pond with Christopher Plummer. Oh, I forgot about that. In 2017, Andrews teamed up with her daughter, again Emma, to create Julie's Green Room. 
a children's television program about the arts created for Netflix. Mm. I don't know anything about this either. I don't either. Right. And it might be on the child side Mm -hmm. of Netflix that sometimes I don't get into anymore. She and her daughter garnered two Emmy Award nominations. Actually, it was just Andrews garnered two Emmy Award nominations for her role as executive producer and writer for the series. Hmm. So. So it must be good. I know. That's what I was thinking, too. So she actually says here that she actually began writing books for young readers over 35 years ago. I know. Wow. Her first two books, Mandy and the last of the really great Wang Doodles, I love that, remain in print and in high demand. She has also co-authored over 30 picture books, novels, and early readers with her daughters. Lists out a bunch. The Very Fairy Princess, Julie Andrews' collection of poems, songs, and lullabies. Got another Grammy mm-hmm. Award for that. Um, middle, what a great project for her, though. I mean, I know. Middle school novels as well, not just, you know, little kid. Mm-hmm. She's also written books, two memoirs called Home, a memoir of my early years, and Homework, a memoir of my Hollywood years. Mm. So Cute play on words with I know. Homework. Together, her and Emma head up the Julie Andrews Collection. It's dedicated to publishing quality children's books. Mm-hmm. That nurture the imagination and celebrate a sense of wonder. Oh, I love that. Their books That's embrace so good for themes. Kids. I love it too. Their books embrace themes of integrity, creativity, nature, and the arts. Some of these books have been turned into a symphonic adaptation, theater adaptations. I mean, it just goes on and on. But with the thing of wonder, I just love that because it encompasses so much yes. for kids. Her many other honors include being named one of the hundred greatest Britons <laughs> by the BBC, which is the British Broadcasting yeah, Corporation. Yeah. She serves as a goodwill ambassador for the United Nations Development Fund for Women. She was also given a Lifetime Achievement Award from the British Academy of Film and Television Arts and a prestigious Kennedy Center honor in the fall of 2001. Everybody hopes to leave behind a legacy, and when she was asked what she would like hers to be, her answer was twofold. First, she hoped a certain joy or delight in music and all things, and secondly, what she does gives joy and makes people curious, which she thinks is one of the best qualities a person can have in life. I love that. Me too. So last time, Colleen, you talked about your hearing loss. Yes. And a little bit about how it's impacted you. Even you talked a little bit before we were chatting about right. was your anniversary. Yes. What number? 27. Wow. I know. 27. I think we're officially you, old. Colleen's waiter had asked her. <laughs> you can tell the story. <laughs> so he'd asked us if we were there for anything special. We said, yes, our anniversary. How long? 27 years. And apparently he said to... <laughs> Me, where did you meet? And I heard, I think, what do you need or what would you like or something like that. So my answer was turkey curry soup. (laughs) And then Jeff looked at the waiter, my husband, and said, she's hard of hearing. And then looked at me and That's not where we met. He asked us where we met. So, yes, it was was loud in there. There was a whole group of people. And And I'm sure a lot of people can relate. So, yes. 
I loved your story about the ASL interpreters at the Super Bowl. And as you already know, Nick, my youngest has, mm-hmm. you know, he did a lot of speech therapy with me because of some hearing loss in yes. his um, early life. So when I read about Janice Lentz in the book, Tell Her She Can't by Kelly Lewis, that's the book I was talking about. Yes. That they're all stories about these women that have been told that they can't do something and they prove them wrong. So it's a great book. I'll be telling each and every story Good. eventually. But Looking forward to it. Um, so Janice Lentz was a lawyer. In 1994, her two-year-old daughter was diagnosed with hearing loss. When the doctors told her the diagnosis, they added, don't worry, there are special schools for her. Interesting. So instead of giving her relief, it ticked her off, which would mean too. How dare you? As she put it, I hadn't even wrapped my head around the diagnosis, and suddenly the bar was lowered for her for the rest of her life at two and a half years old. So over the next few weeks, Janice thought about all the things that her daughter might miss out on living in New York with a hearing impairment. Talk about loud. Yes. At first, Yes. At first, she thought about, you know, what her daughter wouldn't be able to do. And then she started to think of ways for her daughter to not miss out. She began thinking of ways to make sure that her daughter had equal access to everything. One day, her daughter came downstairs and said she wasn't going to religious training anymore because she couldn't hear. It would have been easy for Janice to just say, well, you can't hear the lesson, so I guess there's no reason for you to go. Right. But instead, she thought to herself, every kid is trying to get out of religious training. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So I'm not going to let my kid do that just because she's hearing impaired. So she talked to the rabbi about it, and in that discussion, she found there was not opposition, but a lack of knowledge. They just didn't know how to address it. The lack of tools, too. Exactly. Exactly. To address it. So the rabbi said, what can I do to help? And Janice used that opportunity to tell him exactly what could be done. I love how they work together. Yes. And our synagogue did it. So what Janice learned from that conversation is that people are not necessarily unwilling to help, but they need guidance on how they can help. Knowledge. Yeah. Yes. And just learning about other people and other experiences. I'm actually hoping to get a cochlear, mm -hmm. as you know, and I've already talked to my church about what that entails. Mm-hmm. So my hope is that somehow with Bluetooth and my cochlear, I can go right from the pulpit to my ear. Mm-hmm. So you just sometimes have to ask yeah. the question. Yeah. But And even if they don't have something right now, hopefully they can right. get something, you know, in the right. future. For just to ask. Yeah. Speak up. Exactly. So she started thinking about other projects that she could take on. Like she started with well-connected people in her synagogue she used them to not only promote projects that would help hearing impaired New Yorkers, but also to get in touch with other people who could help with their crusade. Wow. She started with encouraging businesses that catered to kids, which I love, too. in New York, like Big Apple Circus, which is an actual circus to do things to accommodate the hearing impaired. Big Apple Circus expanded its ASL interpretation services as well as other accommodations. That's great. Which I love. So then it included more kids able to enjoy that. And that's what they're catering to. Yes. And if you really are doing it for the kids. Yeah. She realized the next biggest issue was time. She didn't want to waste her time, and she couldn't waste the time of other people. She was trying to get to make changes. So she realized she needed to have plans to implement projects ready to go. She had to be organized. But planning ahead also meant figuring out the future. Janice couldn't just plan for what her daughters needed now. Big changes take time. So she needed to plan on what things her daughter might need in the future. I just love how... 
loving she is to her yes. daughter. Constantly. I mean, she, her daughter definitely comes first. Yes. Since they lived in New York, she could readily anticipate that her daughter would be using the subway in the future. So Janice set her sights on the New York City subway system and how it could be more user-friendly for the hearing impaired. Speaking of the subway system, I saw that Ed Begley and his daughter have always gone to the Oscars on (laughs) mass transit and even today with the Oscars. They still, she's like an adult and she still is with her dad. They wrote mass transit to the Oscars. Probably in beautiful, expensive (laughs) clothes. (laughs) But I just thought that was cute. I love that. So she leveraged connections attending city meetings and used her law background to utilize state and federal laws regarding putting ADA accommodations into renovations of existing buildings and structures. After nine years, the subway system started using hearing-impaired access systems and installed a hearing loop system, which sends sound directly to hearing aids, Yes, greatly improving the sound quality. She also got a voluntary project started with cabbies to have stickers identifying hearing-impaired friendly cabs. Wow. That had loops or drivers who knew sign language. That is amazing to me. I know. It's great. Janice has also worked with national parks. It's stuff that I would never think of that they need. But she worked with national parks to have ASL-trained rangers as well as more signage for the hearing impaired. She's worked with Virgin Airlines and Delta Airlines to include closed captioning during their in-flight entertainment. And she even convinced Build-A-Bear to have an (laughs) option to have bears with hearing aids. How awesome is that? (laughs) That is so great. The part I love most about this story is not all the things that she has accomplished, but that she did those things so her daughter and other hearing impaired people wouldn't have to miss out. Mm -hmm. And just such an amazing mom. I love it. Thank you for that. If you're passionate about what you do, then go for it wholeheartedly. Be prepared that if any time you may be surprised by a phenomenal opportunity that may come your way, and that's when I say, do your homework, be ready. Julie Andrews. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week. Hanoi. 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 Hanoi.